0: We continue standing for the reading of God's Word, which will be taken from Habakkuk 2, verses 1 through 4, and chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. As you turn there, uh, Steve Kamer will be bringing the Word of God for us. He is the pastor of uh, college ministries over at Village 7 Presbyterian Church. It is uh, a joy to hear him preach. He's a good friend of mine, and so please lend him your ear. But here we come to a time where this person is desperate to hear God speak and to answer him in the midst of confusion, desolation, and difficulty. Habakkuk cries out and God speaks. So let us read his word. I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the power And look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, a foal is puffed up, and is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He he makes me tread on my high places. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. As Vince said, my name is Steve Kamer, and I'm on staff over at 7, leading their college and, and seminary ministry there. And it is really good to be with all of you this morning. I know the last time Vince was asked me to preach, uh, I was back in May, and we were online only, so we did that from the Browns living room. And as fun as that was, which was really fun, uh, they lived closed. It was a nice day. I walked across the street to, from their house to mine. And, uh, it's, it's much better to be together face-to-face, or face-to-mask, as it were. Yeah. It's still good to to be together, and I, I do thank you, Vince, for having me here. It is, it is a joy to be here, face-to-face. I know many of you, and uh, if you have your floor, feel free to come up, shall I? Um But it is good, as I said, to be with you. We're looking at the book of Habakkuk this morning. We're looking at the, the verses from the beginning and the end that Vince read, and we're looking many ways at the, at the whole book itself. Habakkuk, one of the minor prophets, towards the back of your Old Testament he's like five books back from the end. But Habakkuk, in the book of Habakkuk, is bringing a prayer of lament and pain and complaint even to the Lord because things were a Even the prophets to the southern side of Judah and as looked at the people of Israel, things were a And I don't think it's very, I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say, and things have been a mess for us too, right? If we look at it, our country or our world, things are a little bit messy this year. A little bit. A little bit. And I think in a lot of ways we can identify with the end. One of the many, many great things of being married to my wife, Kendra, she lives in the first service, um, is the army. This might to be the top one, but she loves to read. She reads books all the time. Uh, nonfiction, fiction fiction, a variety of different topics, whatever it is. And every time she reads a book that's really good, she she's figured out a way, like, without boring me to, like, fill me in on all of it. She's helped me all the best parts and all the things that she's learning, and it's as if I've read the books, too. So I feel like I've read a whole bunch of books, but I haven't. Um, I'm not the reader, here, So, but I kind of have read a ton of books, even this year. Uh, you know, if you want to know anything about the Twilight series, I'd be happy to fill you in. She filled me in on those. um I had to admit, didn't want me to tell that story. But, um, you know, she, she said with the qualification that she loved them because she found this sort of robust spiritual thread towards the gospel. Not just the author mental, but she found this awesome thing through it. So if you ever see her and have a guest to admit you've read the book, I'd uh, be happy to fill you in on a really cool side of those stories. But one of the books we've read this past year was a book about United Airlines Flight 232, and it was a book of survival and heroism, but in 1989, United Flight 232 was flying into Iowa. It was a a little domestic flight, but during the flight, something broke, and the whole hydraulic system went bad, and the plane ended up crashing, and 112 people lost their lives. But due to the heroism of the pilots, there was 184 who survived. But one of the fascinating things about this story is that due to the miracles of forensic science, the scientists were able to go out there and pretty much put back together exactly what had happened to the plane and exactly when it caused wreck. And it was found that in one of the main fans in the engine, there had been some microscopic cracks in the metal, some impurities in the metal. For many flights, it hadn't been a problem it had been no big deal, but during the particular pressure of that flight, those microscopic cracks became visible. They caused the sculpture, caused the fan to break apart, and started the metal went flying into the hydraulic system, and that was kind of all she wrote. The plane was going to crash. Under pressure, the cracks began to show. 2020 has brought into our lives, or maybe 2020 has begun to reveal some of the cracks that we didn't even know were there, and they have become something big and brought destruction into our lives. So I'm going to ask for a little bit of self-evaluation as I go forward. Where have you seen the cracks? Maybe this here, or it could be in general, in your life. It's not that hard to see the cracks in our country. It's not that hard to see the cracks in our world. The elections have made that obvious. The divisions that Vince referenced earlier, the coronavirus and all of that. You know, I haven't been alive for too long. I've been only on the world for 47 years, but I have never seen division in the church. In, in, I don't just mean here, i am actually seen division here. But division in the church at the evangelical church, the body of Christ in our country. It's been horribly... Divided. Whether or not it comes to how we handle the virus and the pandemic, or especially the political season and who should or shouldn't be president and how we weather that, it seems as if we as Christians have forgotten how to even talk to each other in a civil way and not hate and judge each other. I mean, I fall victim to this as well. Uh, it's easy for me to look out and judge others who don't think rightly of me. It's a, it's a huge temptation. The crap is there. I know even you know, I was practicing the sermon yesterday, talking about this very thing. I went home, they announced that Biden won, I got on Facebook, and, and several of my Facebook friends and my team were saying things I disagreed with I thought were stupid, and there are like, taking part in that. And I had to reset, and I was like, Steve, you've practiced this the sermon, talking about this the problem. <laughs> but what about our personal lives? Let's go a little bit deeper, evaluate their. Where maybe have there been some cracks that have become a little bit visible and causing destruction? A friend of ours uh, in ministry was just saying to us on Friday and said, I don't know any other Christian right now who hasn't gone through or isn't going through some sort of existential crisis. It's been a rough year, right? And maybe if you aren't feeling it this year, you've felt it in other years. But the cracks Or showing, how about our relationships, our marriages, our parenting? Where have there been problems? Where have we seen sin, even, maybe? How about our relationship with God? Have there been cracks there? And I know in all of these, I've gone through quite a bit of existential crisis this year. I've felt the sting of my own sin, the sting of other people's sin. I've seen the cracks. Even in my relationship with God, it's been hard. God invites us into this awesome relationship with Him, right? That there's intimacy, but we see it go like this. Where maybe has sin crept in? One of the reasons that Israel gets themselves in so much trouble over and over and over again is they turn about their God. They seek to find life worshiping other things, whether it be money, greed, power, or literally other gods. They fall into idolatry. Where maybe have you seen idolatry in your life? And you see the cracks start to form. You see destruction start to come. And you might want to come to the Lord. And maybe you are coming to the Lord like, God, where are you? Where where are you when it hurts for that? Why aren't you coming to do something about this? And if you can kind of picture that with me, we get a really clear picture of what Habakkuk was going through when he brings the prayer to the Lord. Now, Habakkuk is a uh, prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. So a little bit of Old Testament history. God had brought the people of Israel out of Egypt in the big famous Exodus, the parting of the Red Sea. We know that story well, but he brings them into the desert. They wander there for 40 years into their own sin, and then he brings them into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And they go through a conquest of that land. This is where, uh, I think the story is so important, so much of Israel's history happens while they're in the promised land. This is where all the stories of David happens. This is where all the stories of Solomon happens. The kingdom grows and is united under David and Solomon. It thrives and things are going well. But after Solomon, things will start to go a little south. And you see a biblical principle here that as the kings go, so do the people. And you see the kings begin to lead the people of God away from God. They go away from God themselves. The kingdom ends up splitting even as I talked about the divisiveness in the church, the kingdom ends up splitting, and you get the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel it does not go well. All of their kings are bad. All of their kings lead them away from the Lord, and they fall into all manner of injustice, violence, sin, idolatry, and eventually God raises up the Assyrian empire to come in and basically take over. The northern kingdom was no more. And then you have the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And this is the kingdom that Habakkuk is a prophet to. He is sent by God to the people of Habakkuk to keep them on track. To send God's message to warn them when they go off track to tell them of God's blessing. And they aren't listening to him. It goes a little bit better for the southern kingdom, but not much. They have a few good kings who lead them toward reform. But overall and in general, the kings also turn their back on the Lord and so do the people. those do the people. And we get this mess that, God, that Habakkuk brings before the Lord. And even in his personal life, we don't know a lot about Habakkuk. But one thing we know from Scripture is that the prophets weren't perfect. The prophets struggled with fear and faithlessness and doubt and disobedience, much like we do. And I bet that you see it easy. That even he was having crack filled a little bit of existential crisis himself. Because the people of God weren't listening to him. And maybe he's thinking, God, what, why aren't they listening to me? And have I not done enough? Am I, 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 I not doing it the right way? Are you mad at me? He was probably struggling internally as well as he looked out at it, everything that was going wrong. Maybe he was blaming himself. And he gets really desperate. And he's angry. He's frustrated. And he tipped his prayer to the Lord in uh, verses 1-4 through 4 of the first chapter. We read it as part of our lament. I'll read it again. O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice never so justice goes forth perverted. He was working out and things were an absolute mess. he was coming to God with a really strong prayer. It was a prayer of complaint. It was a prayer of frustration. It was a prayer of lament. Have any of you ever prayed a prayer like that? Have you ever wondered if it would be okay to pray a prayer like that? As we see the story of the back play out, we're going to see what God's heart response is to a prayer like that. We're going to see Him ask us and show us how we can wait for His answer, and we're going to see what that ultimate answer is. First, we we'll look at the question: What happens when you pray to God like this? God, where are you? Things are a mess. Aren't you going to do something about it? Even a little bit later, as he prays in verse 12, he continues the prayer after he gets gets an answer from God. And uh, Hebrew experts say that this prayer would have been offensive. This would have been him basically offending God. He says this, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? This idea that the, the, the Hebrew expert called out is you would have been calling God to the carpet like, I thought you were good. I guess you're not good. It was horribly sarcastic. What kind of response might you expect from God with a prayer like this? It's often called uh, a God's faithful prayer or his doubting prayer or a complaining prayer. Because he does indeed bring it to God. And we know from the text that God doesn't really rebuke him for this. He lets him do it. But I think more... He actually condones prayers like this. Prayers that come from the angst and the hurt and the desperation. And we see little clues of this, lots of them, all over scripture of why he would approve of such a prayer. A couple of them. Uh, I'll give you guys Second Timothy 3.15. All scripture is God breathed. This is a very famous one. All scripture is God breathed. It's possible for teaching, for proof, for correction. That's why we say we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. He breathed it out. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God, that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. After Travis Scott, in his book on Habakkuk, says so this about the situation. Habakkuk is stating that while the whole of the book are Habakkuk's words, they're words given to him by God. When we connect all these dots, it tells us the questioning and complaining against God we see in Habakkuk is actually inspired by God. It's kind of so the Holy Spirit is the one who led Habakkuk not to simply utter these words, but actually to write them down. And the Holy Spirit even went so far as to preserve these words through the ages, through the thousands of years, so that we could read them now and learn more of God today. God approved of us coming to him with this kind of prayer. He likes to hear from us. He wants our authenticity. But I think often, left to our own intuition, we think we can't pray our prayer like this before God because if we do, we'll just be waiting a big old galactic snapdown coming to God. And he's going to come and somehow punish us. So what's, I, mean, I know I'm prone to that. It's the way I grew up to come before the Lord in any way. I'm just afraid the other shoe is going to drop in that galactic snapdown going to come. I think maybe the pain in my life is my own fault. And to complain about it would just bring punishment to him. But that's not God's heart at all. His heart is not for Galactic Smackdown, even when Galactic Smackdown comes. Because it does come in some ways to the people of Israel. We're going to see that. And it does come in an open way to Jesus so it won't come to us. And hear this. Jeremiah, there's a few other clues this, I'll, I'll show you some of them. Lamentations three thirty one. Another lament similar to this one from Habakkuk it says, "Coming after punishment, to the Lord, for the Lord will not pass off forever. But though He cause grief, and He is the one who does it, He will not. i He will have compassion according to the abundance of His steadfast love, for He does not afflict from His heart, or grieve the children of men." righteous and holy and just. He is a God that brings rest. He brought it on Jesus when He went to the cross on our behalf. But it is not in His heart. It's not what He wants to do. It doesn't come out of Him. It comes out of who He is. But it is not His deepest desire. Jeremiah 32 shows us, among these places, His real heart and his desire, as it actually addresses His heart. I'm going to come back to this one a couple times. with Jeremiah 32, 38 to 41. I'll pick it up in like 40. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts, the prophesying of the kingdom that will eventually come, that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land of faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. Here you see a clearer picture of Jesus' heart. I, people he rejoice in doing us good and plant them in the land in faithfulness with all of his heart and all of his soul. He indeed will not give us the galactic strength. I and mean, we come to him with prayers like this who longs and approves for us to bring it to him. And then we see God's answer. We see God's answer. We see it in Habakkuk. After Habakkuk says this prayer, uh, God actually gives them an answer. It isn't one we would necessarily expect, and I guarantee you it wasn't one God expect, or expected, or Habakkuk expected. Habakkuk says this, and God's like, okay, I've got this. And he tells Habakkuk, I'm actually raising up the Babylonians, the horrible Babylonians that nobody can stand up to, but are sweeping through the world, taking people over. I'm bringing them over on top of the kingdom of Judah to take care of it. And Habakkuk's like, wait, wait a second. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not what I thought I was praying for, right? This is not what I wanted. And he even pushes back and he says, "How can you raise up the Babylonians, a people worse than us, to take care of us?" And he shoots back that prayer. And then he says, "I'm going to wait for God's response." And it's where, as passage this morning picks up, because then God comes and answers them, And it says in chapter two, verses two, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run to reach it. For still the vision awaits at the point of time. It distance to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So he spoke here, God has a plan. I'm bringing it. It might not be the one you exactly asked for, but I am bringing a plan. I do have this under control. Right after that, he says, the righteous will live by faith, showing them that there is still hope, there will still be faith in Him, even though this answer is going to be hard. Now, this part that I love here is this part of wait for it. Wait for the Lord. You see this is a theme in many places in Scripture The idea of waiting for the Lord. And there's really two parts to waiting for the Lord. There's the hard in the wait, and there can also be the rest in the wait. There can be the hard in the wait. Knowing God has things under control, but going through trial. The heart is what the people of Judah were about to face. Because the Babylonian Empire does come in and carries them off into the great exile that we read about in much of the Old Testament. A severe justice that coming to them. And we're going to experience the heart. Because in God. In faith, we are not promised that everything will go well. We are not promised that pandemics won't come. We're not promised that all things will work out for good for our kids. Um, they will work out for good eventually. I'll get there in a second. We're not promised that everything is going to go well, that we will always be happy, that we won't face problems. But here God says, I have a plan. I know what I'm doing. Wait for it. And then there can be rest in the wait. The passage I just read about Jeremiah 32, right before that, it comes. It says, I will put fear of the Lord in their heart and they will no longer wander from me. I will be their God and they will be my people and I will rejoice in doing them good with all my heart and all my soul. Coming from Jeremiah, this is a picture of what is ultimately coming, the justice that is ultimately coming. And what is really cool is Jeremiah was also a prophet to the southern side. He was seeing the exact same things and Habakkuk was seen. Habakkuk received a vision of something that was coming sooner, and Jeremiah received a vision of the ultimate solution and justice that God would be bringing. And we can rest in that as well. We can have patience that God is going to work things out. One of the ways, uh, this is just that I, I love the, the thought of patience because we want to ask, how do we do it? Patience isn't easy. Probably most of us have experienced that. John Connor, a pastor in New York City, who says this of how we need to take patience. He says, we need to lay down the burden of assumed omniscience. We need to lay down the burden of assumed omniscience. We take up that burden, don't we? Often, right? We think we know everything. We think we know what's best. We think we know what will make us most happy. We think we know what will make us grow the most. We think we know what will help us and help our children and our spouses and our families. It's never the trials that God brings into our lives. It's never the trials that He brings in. But we take up His burden and we think we know best. But indeed, we do not. Indeed, we do not. Years ago, Ken and I were at a conference, and there was a couple sharing about the lessons that they had learned from parenting. And at one point, uh, they were sharing about when their son had been little. And uh, he was in his high chair, and he had gotten hungry, and he was beginning to cry because he was angry. He began to cry because he was hungry, but then he began to get angry because he saw a bottle on the kitchen table that was his food, but his parents wouldn't give it to him, and he was just really sick. And he started that high-pitched scream that you maybe have uh, heard from a child that can affect the whole room. He was furious because his parents, who were right there, wouldn't give him the bottle, and he was hungry. And he was freaking out. But what he didn't know is that bottle was left over from the night before and it had spoiled. And was his parents he did it to him, it would make him sick. But he didn't know it. All he knew is, this is what I need to make me jerky. But indeed, it would make him sick. And all the while, his dad was making a new bottle at the kitchen sink and he didn't know it. We're like that so often, aren't we? We see what we think we need and what will make us happy because we know everything, right? But all the while, God is doing something different. Another little sort of color that goes along with this that I've always loved is if we knew everything God did, we would ask for everything God gives. Think about that. If we knew what God knows, we would literally ask for everything He gives, even coronaviruses and trial and cracks that are showing up. And that's what we don't. But we can lay down that burden and trust, that God is actually at work. He has it. He's in control. He's good. He rejoices in doing good, and He's going to make everything right. And how is He going to do that? God is bringing a plan. He is bringing justice. Justice way bigger than when He brought the Babylonians onto the southern tribes. Justice bigger than dealing with the Babylonians and bringing men into justice, which the book of the Baptist says will happen as well. But it's an ultimate justice. It's a justice coming through a king I and mean, a kingdom. It's a justice coming through Jesus. I mean, how is this ultimate justice that Jeremiah points to reveal? It's through Jesus. Now, last time I checked, it was November 8th. It might be a little early for some of you. I think it's okay. It's been a rough year. This is saying no. But I am going for Christmas. I am going for Christmas. I thought about asking the Browns to play a Christmas song earlier in the week. But I'm like, you know, that might not be cool for them. But it was cool for me. But that's why the story of Christmas is so awesome. Because this is when Jesus shows up, breaks into the world, starts to bring His kingdom, and starts to make things right. And it was obvious from the very get go. I love the verses in the Gospels about Jesus coming, or even Isaiah 9. So, Luke 2, go read them all. I invite you guys to think about this, the craft and uh, the problems of even this year and how Jesus is coming to fix it as we move into Advent. Luke 2 14, as the angels sing, Glory to God on the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom you is pleased. The NIV translates it, On whom the favor rests, the favor given to us by grace. The important piece we don't want to miss here. It's not because. We have his favor because of the things we've done. It's because Jesus, God, is bringing Jesus. He's going to make things right. You know, when I prepare sermons, I often listen to music, to uh, a song, over and over and over again. This is not again game, because he's been in my office like that, and he always complains. My family complains even more about it. I'll just play the song over and over again. It's weird part. But this time I just a shot, Rescue you Mary know Gentleman. In the words he sort of spoke to me as I as I meditated on this, listen to the words—not the whole thing. I will not won't force Christmas on you any more than I already have. But God bless you, married gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray from the cracks that are up in our lives. Oh tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy? With oh, tidings of comfort and joy. I heard something that's not... Like that's just so that the rest never have to come up and come up. Like, tidings of comfort and joy. That's the waiting that has rest in it. But there's comfort when it's hard because Jesus broke in and took care of this for us. Not only has Christ come, and brought in his kingdom, and he's coming back to make the Jeremiah passage true. but it gets even better than that because he's left us here in a broken world to deal with it, and how do we do that? And Jesus broke into the world at Advent and at Christmas, then he later starts his kingdom where he ushers in, preaching about the kingdom of God and how it has started. And in Mark chapter 1, it records the story of one of his first things. He goes and he gets baptized by John John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And in Mark 1 it says, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. You might see, often when I hear this version, when it talks about you might hear it in the version, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That's actually how Matthew translated it. What Mark does, if he makes it personal straight to Jesus, that God was speaking to Jesus, you are my son, my beloved son, with you I am all pleased. Somehow Jesus in his humanity, he needed to hear this message from his father that he was his beloved son and he was pleased with him. Because Jesus was about to head into some pretty serious cracks in the world that were made visible. He was going to meet resistance everywhere, leading him all the way up to the cross where he was going to actually get the biggest galactic smackdown anyone, any people, anything had ever received, and paying the price for our sin, so that we wouldn't have to face that galactic smackdown. But you know, one of the key doctrines, one of the things I love the most about Christianity, if I know anything about this, he probably talks about it a lot, he does, because it's awesome. Is our unity to Christ, our unification with Christ. The Bible, the Psycho talk about this all the time. We're in Christ, in Christ, over and over and over again. Do you ever want to look at it, go through a huge wonder circle every time it says in Christ. Our lives are hidden in Christ. And what that means is that in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Him, what is true of Christ is not true of you. As you head out into the cracks and the trials that are in your life or whatever is left in 2020, and let's face it, things aren't going to get instantly better as soon as December 31st rolls around. We know it's a bummer. It's going to keep going. But the trials are there, and God is saying to you, In Christ, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased struggle a little bit with that. I know, that's hard. I don't think of person just to Jesus, but realize it's true of me too. But it is. We're united to Christ. He is saying to you, no matter what your past is, no matter the things you've struggled with, the cracks that are in your life, the hard that you've been waiting on, or waiting through, He's saying, you are my beloved son, and with you, I'm more pleased. And doesn't that give us perspective, as we go out and face the trials that are there, because it's the one who matters most, the King, King Jesus, who had come so far for us, to make it so we would never face punishment from Him. If He is working with you, and He loves you, you can face anything to you, too? And, we it will be hard, but, and, as you see your needs met, you can minister that same love to other people. You can start to bring unity where so much division has been, you can start to do the thing I need to do to take my own medicine and not judge everyone who doesn't think the same way I do about politics. So, whether the trials are really hard, and so we're he realized he's got Habakkuk. Habakkuk certainly figured that out. Even in the hard, he realized that God was a Savior, that there would be a Savior, things would be made right. And he says that at the very end of the book, and I'll close with this, at the end, the prophetic three, picking up with verse 17. This is also read in our verse this morning. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet, or the biggest yes in the Bible, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on my places. Man, how do we connect with this? It's going to be through the spiritual because It's filling up in worship. It's reading your Bible. It's in fellowship. it's in prayer. One of the most important prayers we can pray is that we have eyes to see these truths and a heart to grasp. And as we do, it will make all the difference in the world. So us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the story of a bag. We thank you that you are in control, that we can rest in your plan even when it's hard. That we can rest in the heart because we know that eventually you will come and make things right and you started it by giving us your son. I pray that for each of us that we would indeed have eyes to see and a heart to grasp how beautiful Jesus is, what he has done for each one of us, and how the eventual king will return to make all things right. And may we operate in this world out of an overwhelming overflow of that king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your heart. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us join now with the saints throughout time and place uh, as we affirm our common faith from the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body